This Christmas, we are filled with joy to be able to come together as a church family. Whether you've been coming to Menlo Church for years, for months, one weekend, or you've never been but want to experience Christmas in community, we can't wait to be together. We'll sing along to modern carols, enjoy hot cocoa with treats, and explore how to experience peace this Christmas and into the new year. We hope you'll join us. It won't be the same without you. Go to menlo.church slash Christmas to get all the information, and we'll see you there. Merry Christmas, everyone, if we've never met before. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here, and today I've been tasked with preaching on one of the hardest topics there is to preach on. Maybe you're thinking like sin or hell or why bad things happen to good people, Uh, but no. One of the hardest things to preach on is love. I know, you might think it's easy, but it's not. Uh, Here's why. In our culture, the word love and the concept of love has become sloppy, overused, and oversaturated. I mean, think about it. We use the word love to talk about big things. Like you might say, I love justice. I love peace. I love my family. At the same time, we use that word for very small things. Like you might say, I love tacos. Or I love the 49ers. Uh, With their record this year, though, I'm not sure they love you back. Or maybe you say, I love the Avengers movies. All 85 of them. (laughs) Uh, It's confusing, right? We use this word for everything. And also, love is packaged and sold and marketed to us. This is the season of Hallmark movies, where the biggest conflicts in love are solved in a cheesy 90 minutes. And then there's commercials and cards and products about love, and they're created to give us these warm fuzzies. And some of us are hoping to find love this season, maybe through a dating app or through a serendipitous Christmas miracle. Uh, Even though we're through a screen, I see those hands out there. (laughs) Uh, There's over 100 million songs written on love. And half of those were written by Taylor Swift. And half of those became breakup songs later. Uh, On Amazon right now, there's over 80,000 books on the topic of love. We are uh, oversaturated with this word. And this concept, we're over-familiar, and we've become desensitized. And so my question today is this. Have you become numb to love? When you hear it, when you use it, are you numb to what it actually means? See, I'm concerned that we've lost the beauty and the power and the meaning of love. And the problem is, as we become numb we're in danger of missing how radical and life-changing the message of Christmas actually is. We're in danger of the good news becoming the meh news. So today is simply a primer to help us rediscover the wonder of love this Christmas. Now, to start a conversation, I want to use an often overlooked part of the Christmas story. Instead of the star or the manger or the wise men, uh, we're going to be looking at the genealogy of Jesus. Now, this is good because sometimes it takes a different approach to wake us up from numbness. 
Now, genealogies are usually parts we skip in the Bible. It's sort of like the kale at a Christmas dinner. It's like, ah, I'm just going to let that pass. Uh, genealogies are a boring list of random names, right? What we need to understand is in the ancient world, genealogy was like a resume, a list of names showing credentials, a list of names to impress others with your roots and genes. It's said that Herod the Great purged and deleted names of unacceptable people from his genealogy in order to look better. And this is not unlike how we polish our resumes to look better. Uh, like on mine, it says Premier Craft Caffeine Distributor, a.k.a. I worked at Starbucks. <laughs> when we look at Jesus' genealogy and resume, we see how radical and weird and how brilliant it is. And so here are some of the highlights of the genealogy of Jesus. The writer Matthew says this, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Judah, the father of Perez and Zara, whose mother was Tamar. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile uh, to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. It's riveting stuff, right? (laughs) Let's dig into it together. Uh, So to begin with, we have listed here five women. Now, this might not be unusual for us, but in a patriarchal society, women were almost never included, let alone five. Uh, You could call them gender outsiders. They didn't normally belong in this society, not acceptable people to have on a genealogy. And three of these women were Gentiles, Canaanites, Moabites. These were tribes considered unclean. They wouldn't have even been allowed to enter the temple. We could call them racial or ethnic outsiders. And then Matthew mentions the names Judah, Perez, Zara, Tamar. Now, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law, and she tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. So we see in this resume, it includes immorality, dysfunction. And then we see the name Rahab. And Rahab was not just a Gentile, but she was a prostitute. You think this wasn't shocking? to have on a Messiah's resume. See, this genealogy also points out two names, David and Uriah's wife. Now, Uriah's wife was not her name. It was actually Bathsheba. And it's as if the the writer is reminding us that David committed adultery with Uriah's wife and then had him murdered. So, we also have moral outsiders adulterers and adulteresses, incestuous relationships, prostitutes, murderers. So we have gender, racial, and moral outsiders. This is not a list of impressive, perfect, acceptable people. It's a list of unacceptable, unlovable, unqualified misfits. Now, when we talk about list. In this season, I can't help but think of the legendary Christmas song about a list, right? It's making a list, checking it twice, and one way or another, finding out who is naughty and who is nice. 
I have some issues with this song. Uh, first, it starts out with the lyrics, you better watch out, better not cry, better not pout. It's like, is that a threat? Such an aggressive way to start a kid's song. And then we sing the line, he sees you when you're sleeping. I am not okay with this. You know, I know the fear of being stared at while sleeping. Several times a month, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and one of my kids is standing next to me, staring at me. Daddy, can you snuggle with me? Yeah, sure. Uh, just let me make sure I didn't just have a heart attack. It's terrifying. This list divides into the good and the bad. The acceptable and the unacceptable. Naughty, nice. Insiders, outsiders. Included and excluded. Now, this is just a silly kid's song. But if we're honest, we make very similar lists. Maybe we walk past a, a person battling addiction experiencing homelessness, and even subconsciously, we put them on one side of the list, unqualified, unacceptable. Or we see someone who has political views that are opposite of us, and we put them on one side of the list. Or maybe someone who is lazy and unambitious. Or maybe those young, entitled people. Or those old, out-of-touch people, they're on this side of the list. And then, if we're honest, we go through life with uh, this list of lovable, acceptable people, easy to get along with, and those who are unlovable and unacceptable. And if we're really, really honest, maybe when we're quiet or alone, we know a deeper truth. If there is a list of lovable, perfect, acceptable people, I know what side I'm really on. See, I know my thoughts, my past, my mistakes and intentions and wishes. Externally, I can appear to be on the acceptable side, to have it all together. But deep down, I really know. Maybe this genealogy of Jesus is communicating something to us. Maybe this is a list for people just like you and me. Now, to help us rediscover the wonder of this love, I want to talk about a group of the naughtiest, most unacceptable people in history. I want to look at another classic Christmas story, the story of Jonah being swallowed by a fish. I know, that's weird. Uh, but again, sometimes it takes a different approach to wake us up from our numbness. So in this story, we usually highlight Jonah being swallowed and living in the belly of a fish. And that's, that's quite remarkable, but I don't think that's the most wonderful part of the story. You know, the story begins with us learning that God wants to send Jonah to Nineveh. He wants to send him there to show the Ninevites the love and mercy of God and give them a chance to repent. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And these were some real bad people, not just steal a toothbrush from a convenience store naughty. These were really bad people. One of their kings, uh, King Shalmaneser II, uh, once said this about his enemies, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of the city. Uh, their youths and maidens I burnt up in flames. Just to be clear, he piled a bunch of heads and burnt up the women and children of his, of his enemies. Another king, King Ashurbanipal, said this about an enemy. 
I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him, and made him occupy a kennel. Aren't you glad you tuned in to our Christmas services today? These were some bad, unacceptable, unlovable people. The worst of the worst. And after the fish business, uh, Joseph goes to them. And he tells them about the reality of God. And get this. They accept the love of God and they repent. They turn from their evil ways and decide to follow this God. Just think for a second how radical this is. Imagine whoever it is you think is the worst of the worst in our world today. And then imagine God reaching them, showing love to them, and they change and they turn to God. This is the wonder of his love. And we find out that Jonah is not happy after this happens. Why? Well, he's upset that God has given forgiveness to these horrible people. I wonder if he's become numb. He's known God for a while, so he has forgotten maybe the radical love of God. Maybe he was shocked by God's ability to love in this way. And maybe for you and I, we need to be shocked again. Remembering that God's love goes beyond warm fuzzies and Hallmark cards. It's a love that's so radical, it extends to people who don't deserve it and haven't earned it. Let's see, this narrative is woven throughout the Bible. It's not a list of mythical, perfect heroes and legends, but it's a list of misfits and mistake-ridden humans. A history-long list of people uh, that do not measure up. This was the lineage of Jesus born to humans with flaws and imperfections. And so the big moment happens. Jesus is born, but not to a celebrated uh, birth in a luxurious castle, born to poor average parents in a manger with dirt and dung. And then this king doesn't ascend to the upper echelons of society. He associates with prostitutes and Samaritans, and he touches the unclean lepers, and he lifts up the despicable tax collectors. He, he makes his own list full of unacceptable, unlovable outsiders. And the only people on the other side of the list are those who have hardened their hearts, or we could say have allowed their hearts to become numb desensitized to this radical acceptance and good news. And then he demonstrates this love for us. Instead of climbing up to power and control, he sacrificed. He gave everything for this list of unlovables. Uh, we see the writer Paul in Romans 5, 8 say, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in John 16, 17, we see, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, I don't know about you. I've heard those verses hundreds, hundreds of times in my life. And if I'm not careful, I can harden my heart to them and I can become numb to this reality that in the midst of being unacceptable 
in my failures, in my mistakes. Jesus came not to condemn me, put me on a bad list, but to save me because of his great love for me. This is the wonder of his love. Now, it's kind of like this. In 1968, in a small farming community in China, uh, Gao Zhufeng uh, gave birth to uh, her fourth child. And he was born with polio, and he was paralyzed. And now she is 86 years old, and her son is 53 years old. And every day, for 53 years, she feeds, cleans, and massages her son. She also helps roll him over multiple times a day and wipes away his waste. Our other kids have moved away. Her husband died years ago. And in 2012, her son lost the ability to speak. And years of bending over to care for him have caused her legs to become deformed and bent. And she's developed arthritis. Now, her son, by society standards, is unacceptable, unqualified, and an outsider by many accounts. He can't work, can't speak, can't produce, can't provide for himself. But that doesn't matter to her. He is her son. Her love for him is radical. Because of this love, she has sacrificed and given her life for him. She's demonstrated her love by giving and serving and made herself nothing for him. It's not a warm, fuzzy love. Their difficulties don't resolve in 90 minutes. Nobody's racing to make a cute Christmas card about them. It's a gritty, raw, radical love that happens through sacrifice. This is the wonder of love, a love that gives love that enters the brokenness and mess and dirt and dung, a love that goes to great distances to save the unlovable. So you don't have to watch out. You don't have to cry. You don't have to pout. And I'll tell you why. Jesus was born, came to town, and has given himself for you out of love. This is the wonder of love. You, yes, you, regardless of where you are on the list, if you're fired from your job and feel like a failure, if you've been divorced multiple times, if you're a workaholic, or if you're gripped by depression, if you're caught up in sexual addiction or substance addiction, if you've made horrible mistakes, or if you don't fit in in society, he loves you. While you are still a sinner, while you are unacceptable and unlovable, he has demonstrated his radical love for you. This Christmas, I want to invite you to soften your heart and rediscover the wonder of love. Born through a baby, sacrificed on a cross, and resurrected for the sake of humanity. Now, one way to do this is to just take some moments this season and turn off the TV, get away from your phone, and reflect and meditate anew on this love. You know, we've made a daily meditation uh, podcast specifically to help you do this. It's called uh, Menlo Meditations. And this week, each meditation is on the wonder of love. Uh, you can find it wherever you find your podcast. Now, maybe another thing you can do is simply ask yourself this question. Have I grown numb to the power of God's love? 
as you ask yourself that, allow this question to take you deeper into the journey of rediscovering the wonder this Christmas. Whatever it is, I pray that this season, God will soften your heart and reawaken you to his deep, radical love for you. Amen.